Welcome to the Breaking Into Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people with non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. On today's episode, we sit down with Kush Patel, who left finance to learn how to code as part of Dev Bootcamp's pilot program. Very few people know this, but Dev Bootcamp's pilot program included the founders of Hack Reactor, Hackbright, and eventually led to the creation of the leading bootcamps that exist today. The fact that this guy's name is Kush alone is why you should listen to it. But what's even more cool about this episode is that he talks about why he started App Academy, why he made it affordable, and how he's filling the job openings for software engineers. I'm telling you right now, you don't want to miss it. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer Timo Meister, and this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Archer, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, today we're um, at App Academy. There's students right now whiteboarding problems outside our room. There's also lectures going on of people that, alumni that are giving advice on how to break into tech. And today we're here uh, with a super special guest, Timur. Please tell us who we're interviewing today. Yeah, so today we have... Um, on our podcast, Kush Patel. And uh, you might have heard about him as the founder of App Academy. And App Academy is considered to be the MIT of coding boot camps. So I think a lot of our listeners are going to find this super interesting. An interesting fact that before launching and bootstrapping App Academy, Kush actually went to school and majored in economics at University of Chicago. He also worked in hedge funds. And at some point, he actually decided to attend the coding boot camp himself so he can learn more about the ones and zeros of programming. When I first met Kush, I applied to App Academy and he conducted my first coding interview. So we wanted to bring Kush on our podcast so he can give our listeners a glance into the coding bootcamps landscape and tell us more about App Academy. Kush, before we start talking about bootcamps, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What were you interested in high school? Maybe a little bit about your family and what your passions were? Sure. Yeah. So... I'll give you the condensed life story so as not to so as not to bore you. So I grew up in Fremont, pretty close to San Francisco until the sixth grade, moved over to New Hampshire, went to high school there, was interested in a bunch of stuff. So really, but mostly wanted to be a lawyer. So thankfully, God disabuses that notion pretty quickly, but <laughs> but wanted to be a lawyer until about, I think, the first year or so of college, first or second year. So I wanted to go in, I wanted uh, you know to get a classics you know major. So I applied and gone to uh, University of Chicago, which is really kind of known for its strong core, and you know, it's a great school for somebody who wants to be a lawyer. Also, fortunately, turned out it happens to be a great school if you want to study economics, which was another interest of mine. So I was also interested in investing from kind of a young age. So, and I think once I started school there at Chicago, I, you know, some, somebody told me that hey, you should take, you know, you should major in economics because all the, you know, this is what the school is best known for. You know, they produce something like 40 Nobel laureates or something in, in economics. And it doesn't, I mean, you're interested in a whole bunch of things. You, you, you should major in economics and that, you know, made a lot of sense to me and, and I was interested in it. So I decided to kind of pursue that. But also the great thing about Chicago is that, you know, it lets you take a lot of different courses. So I took courses in the business school. I took courses, you know, stats department, CS, whatever, just a whole bunch of different things in, you know, different grad schools and whatnot. So and got a pretty broad kind of base of knowledge, but you know, studied economics there. I interned at a hedge fund that summer. Oh, sorry, the summer before graduating, and really loved it. So 
I really loved the fact that you could, you know, kind of analyze companies and just learn about all, you know, how these businesses operated and that CEOs of large multi-billion dollar companies would actually talk to you. So I enjoyed that. So then I decided after college to go and, um, you know, work at that hedge fund. So it was based in Bombay, actually. So I was, you know, never having been to Bombay, not speaking the language. It was kind of a big jump, but it was 2009. And I think it was a good time to kind of make, you know, take that risk where, you know, people were kind of battening down the hatches. And um, I think, you know, yeah, it was a it was a good time to, to kind of jump in. So I decided to, you know, work at the hedge fund for a couple of years and really just learned a ton. Talked to so many people. I was originally a financials analyst, then took over the real estate, investing, technology, media, telecom, you know, consumer staples. Just I was covering like 70% of their portfolio or something by the time I left. So and got to learn deeply about every one of those industries. So that was awesome. And from kind of an international perspective. So that was very interesting. So that said, at the end of two and a half years, I was kind of getting tired of Bombay, wanted to make a move. So I was thinking, hey, maybe go to Hong Kong, New York City, Singapore, et cetera, or maybe just try sitting on the other side of the table, right? So tried to start something of my own. So really, yeah, just having interviewed CEOs or not interviewed them, but really, I guess, interrogate them really might be the better word, but interrogating the CEOs for, for so long, I thought, hey, you know, 90% of these guys are geniuses and I can never do their job. But the 10%, I could be one of those guys, right? So part of me wanted to, yeah, I guess, you know, because of that, left the hedge fund and left Bombay also. So I enrolled in the pilot course of Dev Bootcamp. So that so was something. Before, yeah. Let me interrupt Sorry. you for a second. Yeah. So before we talk about Dev Bootcamp, what was your rationale for even learning how to code? Because it sounds mm-hmm. like you have a pretty good career in sure. finance and you're in the hedge fund world. Mm-hmm. What was your motivation for wanting to learn how to code? Sure. Yeah. So at the beginning, it was just to make my life easier. So, you know, the hedge fund, I, I can remember some of the tasks that kind of led to me learning how to code. So one of them was I was interning at Merrill Lynch. This was two summers before I graduated and they had this sheet where they just, you know, had to manually update all these prices. And, you know, I decided to just automate it and, you know, learn the little bit of programming required to kind of hook it up to Bloomberg and just, you know, get the prices downloaded immediately. And that was a task that you know would have taken an hour or two out of my day as an intern, and now it was done automatically. So, and I love that the power that you get from doing that was awesome. So that you know after that I was hooked, right? So similarly, you know the my journey in finance at the hedge fund kind of forced me to to kind of teach myself how to program just to be more effective, right? So it's this great kind of lever that you can just just magnifies the amount of impact that you can have because you can just analyze data much better. Than other people can because you can do it programmatically, right? So, yeah, that's kind of. And uh, so, uh, as a follow-up question, in the pre-interview, you mentioned that you try to teach yourself how to code. So, do you run into any obstacles when you were trying to learn how to code? Yeah, so it was really hard because you don't know, you know, what you should be learning. You don't know what language you should learn. You don't know what book you should read, right? You don't know should I sign up for this online class? Is that better than the the other one? You know, it's just. Is terrible. I mean, it's, it's a terrible experience learning how to code by yourself. It's very hard. And I have a ton of respect for the people that kind of learn themselves and then actually find jobs as software mm-hmm. engineers. So yeah, no, it just difficulty after difficulty. It was so much harder than it than it should have been. And I wish the programs like these, you know, boot camps existed before um, when I was, I could have taken it as a teenager or something even during the summer because it's, you know, three month program. So before you did the, the dev boot camp or you even heard about the dev boot camp, did you take any follow any lo- online resources, or how did you eventually hear about Dev Bootcamp? Sure, yeah. So I started. I can't remember exactly which books, but I think 
like you know a few VBA books. Uh, I think there's some standard kind of ones in the in the industry that people use. The Head First series, I, I read some of those. Hartle tutorial, some yeah, just random kind of stuff on the internet. Yeah, mishmash, yeah. <laughs> just random random stuff. But yeah, I guess. That's and in the pre-interview, you said you you then ran into this hacker news post that for yeah, this sure. unproven thing. Sure. Yeah, great. You know, great point. So. Fortunately, also, I had a friend who turned me on to Hacker News, and that was great. That made a big difference in my life, really. So I just, you know, I'm one of these guys that when I try to enter a new thing, I will read everything I can get my hands on, right? So Hacker News was great for that. It's like an endless supply of not only articles, but then more interesting comments on those articles by people who are often experts in that topic and maybe even more experts than the article itself. So it's kind of this conversation that you get to kind of jump into, right? So, and it's conversations about everything that was interesting to me. So, engineering, startups, design, just everything around that whole Silicon Valley ecosystem. So, and then I discovered obviously Paul Graham's essays and love those and just, yeah, everything around that, that ecosystem. But that was where I found that, that post announcing Dev Bootcamp, right? So, I mean, that's the kind of place Hacker News is where you can announce something like that and then build, you know, 20, 30, $40 million company on it just based off, you know, it's a, a little posting. And that happens all the time. That happened with Dropbox, you know, right? So, yeah. so this was a post about DevBootCamp's first class, right? So they exactly. didn't have any track record yet. What about it caught your eye and what were your expectations? And like, did you have any reservations that, hey, almost sounds too good to be true, like three sure. months program and then sure. you find a job? Sure. Yeah. So at that point, it was a two month program, actually. <laughs> okay. Fortunately, also the price was 6000 So, you know, it was, it was much lower than programs these days. It also just had, it just offered much less than programs do these days, even DevBootCamp. So what was intriguing was that the software engineer was trying to teach his friend how to code and that he was doing Dev Bootcamp ostensibly to just teach this friend how to code and find him a job as a software engineer. And he said, hey, at the same time, why don't I teach 6, 8, 10, et cetera, other people at the same time, earn some money, make a small business, see if there's anything there, right? So that was kind of the, the conceit of that post. And the, so I thought, hey, you know, 6,000 bucks, not that much to pay to have some expert teach me this thing that I really love and really want to learn over a matter of two months, right? So, and I was fortunately part of a family that always viewed education as an investment. So they didn't even blink twice, right? So I have to give my dad, my, I mean, really both my parents, a lot of you know props for just saying, yeah, sure. You want to learn it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Shout out yeah. to mom and dad. Yeah. So. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit more about that initial dev bootcamp cohort and mm-hmm. what the interview was like and what mm-hmm. the days looked like in the curriculum and sure. everything after. Sure. Yeah. So. The interview was really short. It was just a bunch of get to know you questions, a short brain teaser, and then it was a, hey, you're in. So, <laughs> you know, I think it was, it was run very different than even Deb Bootcamp runs their interview process now. But I think he, he managed to find some interesting folks, some, yeah, interesting background. So that was one thing that made the class a lot of fun was that there were just folks from all different kinds of backgrounds, but they were all kind of self-starters and they were all taking a big risk, right? So for everybody, except for maybe one or two, myself included, they wanted to find a job as a software engineer after, right? So for them, this was their chance to kind of break into, you know, break into software engineering. So they were taking it seriously and they were, they were pouring their heart into it, right? So, and there was something kind of special that, that was there in that first class. So, and I see, you know, I think you, you see that with the co-founders of multiple companies, including Hack Reactor and Hackbrite and of course, App Academy and some other funded startups that came out of that, you know, that first class of 18 people, right? So, so you guys were all in the same cohort. So who was there specifically who, from Hack sure. Reactor and Hack yeah, Reactor? Yeah, definitely. So there was Anthony Phillips, uh, CEO of Hack Reactor, was in that class. You know, his co-founders, Sean uh, and Marcus, 
taught, did, uh, guest lectures. Uh, Doug Calhoun was also in that class from the Hackbright side. Uh, David Phillips, the CEO was in that class. Christian, his co-founder was the first instructor at that bootcamp. So yeah. And then from App Academy, just, just me. And then Ned was a kind of guest lecturer there also. So, so it sounds like you guys had your own PayPal mafia yeah. that started out from that first uh, pilot yeah. at the bootcamp. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, which I is think, quite yeah. impressive. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, I think we, we have a pretty collegial kind of, you know, working relationship. So we're all, you know, friends. And, um, I think that's kind of probably helped us succeed. Even, I mean, we compete and we, you know, we all want to win, but. I think we have that underlying kind of bond of that first class. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and typically, at the end of these programs, people are usually focused on getting jobs. But during the pre-chat, you mentioned part of the reason why you did this was because you wanted to be a non-technical founder. Mm-hmm. You realized that you needed to get these skills to at least be able to build an MVP. Mm-hmm. And so, instead of looking to find a job, you did what? Sure. Yeah. So after those couple months at Dev Bootcamp, I was trying to figure out what was next. So I was thinking about, you know, various SaaS businesses that I could potentially look at, but I was also talking to my now co-founder who's on Google's, you know, search index team and had been a good friend since first year of college, talking to him about maybe making something, you know, in the bootcamp space because it seemed like just endless opportunity at that time. There and a huge gap between, you know, the quantity of software engineers that Silicon Valley and, and the US needed and what was being produced by CS schools. And right? what so, year was that? So that was early 2012. So at that time, there were 50,000 CS grads a year and 150,000 job openings for software engineers every year, right? So new incremental ones that were, and only 50,000 were filled, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and to give you a sense of the size and how quickly the bootcamp space has grown, in 2011, there were zero bootcamp grads. In you know 2016, there'll be 25,000, right? So wow. about half the number of CS grads that are coming out every year. Wow. And so uh, you and your co-founder wanted to start another one of these boot camps. What made you feel like you guys can do something different? And mm-hmm. how did you think about building your program? Sure. Yeah. So we just had a very different philosophy from the founder of Dev Bootcamp. So to us, it seemed like he was interested in kind of traditional for-profit education in that he wanted to kind of Anybody who wants to learn how to code can learn how to code and he'll take their money and, you know, he'll, he'll try to build a large kind of educational business that way. There's nothing wrong with that. I think, you know, that's, I think giving everybody the chance to learn how to code, that's awesome. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. But we really wanted to build kind of the MIT of boot camps, right? So we really wanted the best students and we wanted to give them the best curriculum and really see them grow. I mean, if those students weren't senior software engineers or VP of engineering in 5, 10, 15 years, we had failed, right? So it wasn't just about, hey, do you get that first job? It's, you know, do you become kind of, I mean, do you succeed over the span of a career in this, right? So that's kind of the bar that, that we were holding ourselves to. And a lot of that was tied up in the tuition model where we don't charge tuition up front. We ask for a small deposit, but really the, the tuition comes on the back end. And it's only if you find a job as a software engineer that we charge tuition. So in doing that, we expanded the applicant pool significantly. You know, I would say probably in order of magnitude. So how big is uh, the deposit? So the deposit varies, depends on how much you can put down. So it varies between two and 5,000. So it's really, it, we try to have some flexibility there. You do need to put something down so we know, hey, you're taking that seriously. So yeah, in building a, a very large applicant pool, we then gave ourselves the ability to choose the very best people, right? So, and that was kind of this getting at this philosophy of just training the best people, identifying those folks, 
and really identifying them, not in terms of, hey, how much software engineering do they have? How much dev experience do they have coming into this? But who has the most potential? You know, who's going to be that VP of engineering? And we found that it's not the person with a CS degree, or it's not necessarily the person with a CS degree. It's not the person with software engineering experience. It's the person who has a lot of potential. And that can look like different things. It's, hey, I, you know, was a famous chef before this, or I was a professional, you know, poker player and one of the best poker players, you know, in the world, right? So it's those kinds of folks that are going to succeed and really succeed in Silicon Valley. Can you also tell us about more, um, I guess, more specifics about the interview process? What are kind of questions do you ask? How many interviews do you have? And what is the best way for our listeners to prepare for that? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So the way our application process works is that somebody submits an online application, then they're given some prep work. So we give them some coding prep work for our application process. So basically, our application process is has two major components to it. So we look at somebody's background, we, we do a non-technical interview, but then we place a lot of emphasis on the technical interview part, right? So we have a coding test that, somebody's, that, that you submit online, but we also have a technical interview. We put a lot of emphasis on that. So that and all you need to succeed on that, it's all in that code, in that prep work that we hand out. And that's, you know, maybe five, 10 hours worth of work. So we try to make it so that somebody who has a lot of potential, doesn't have a CS degree or something, will succeed over somebody who has a CS degree, but really doesn't have the potential that we're looking for. So, and we found that to be the case, you know, for some time. So I think at least that part of the process is successful. But in terms of what somebody, you know, might want to do to be successful in the academy application process. So I think it's two major things. So one is, you know, really making sure that they understand that prep work right and really, you know, are just have tried all these different problems and really have a mastery of those of those few concepts that we focus on. So uh, the second piece is, you know, just, and th- this is less something that you can prepare for, but for that non-technical interview, just letting their passion show, right? And showing that, hey, they're not going to stop. They're going to do whatever it takes and they're going to, you know, be the last person out of the school and they're going to, you know, they're going to find the best job and they're going to, right? So, and getting that across. So, yeah. And just from my personal experience, since I did mm-hmm. go through the process, mm-hmm. and then when I first came to App Academy on the first day, when I looked around, I can definitely tell the caliber of students around me. And I kind of felt like I was the on the dumber side, definitely below the average in terms of uh, the type of kids that did get into App Academy. So I think it's also super important as you're learning for the next 12 weeks how to become an engineer to surround yourself with people who are go-getters and who are not going to stop because that's going to just push you a lot harder. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that's something that people don't understand that much when they try to compare an online course to an in-person course is that community, it just drives you to achieve much more. And if you can figure it out, you know, it's worth it, right? To move to San Francisco or New York City, or, you know, one of these big cities that, that does have these top schools, I would recommend it because, yeah, it just pushes you to achieve a lot more. And that just ripples through the rest of your life, right? So that's the network that you look to when you're, you know, those are your friends, that's your core circle. When you decide to start a company three years down the line, those are the folks you look to or maybe you hire, right? So that network of who you're kind of tied to or bonded to, very important. Yeah. And a lot of people talk about getting into a boot camp and how hard it is. And a lot of people feel a huge sigh of relief once they pass the rigorous interview process. But in the pre-chat, you said that, you know, that's just the beginning. That's when you have to brace yourself and actually start climbing. So can you tell us a little bit more about how the program is structured on a day-to-day and what people have to expect, the number of hours, mm-hmm. number of days per week. And you have some assessments that people have to do every week and people even get kicked out. Sure, sure. How's yeah. that look? Yeah, sure. So the program is Monday through Friday, nine through six in terms of in-class hours. So that's about 45 hours in class. 
we ask about a similar amount of work out of class. So we are, you know, targeting about that 90 hour kind of a week run rate, which is not sustainable for a long period of time, but for 12 weeks, folks can do it and just, just filled in terms of evenings and weekends. So the space is open 24 seven. So, so students can come in at any time, but getting back to the point about how, you know, what does that day to day look like? Right. So we do lecture in, in the morning. We have a short, we try to keep it short, a short lecture. We're even experimenting with video lectures during the night and then doing a short, even shorter Q&A during the morning so that we can just get to the most important part, which is the lab work, right? So where you're really kind of proving that you actually understand, actually can do what you learned right the night before. So which is the most important thing by far, right? I mean, I remember when I was learning how to code, this was one of the things that I did not understand until, you know, 100 hours in or something, which was that you could read a book on coding and you would not be a better coder at all if you hadn't opened up your text editor, right? So it doesn't mean anything to kind of read a coding book and not not code, right? It would just go in one year and out the other. So it's when you're playing around in the REPL or, you know, you're really kind of engaging with programming that the learning actually happens. So yeah, I guess, so that's what the structure of the day looks like, which is really just, I mean, very straightforward. We, you know, we have breaks and lunch and whatnot, but really it's just coding as much as possible, really trying to get the students to code as, you know, as much as we can. So but in terms of you know what the week to week looks like, we do have assessments roughly weekly, and we have quizzes even daily. So the quizzes, you know, there's no grades just to kind of let you know, hey, this is where you're at. This is what we you know expect you to know. This is it's also just a very clear way of saying, hey, this is what we want you to know, right? We try to make it very clear. This we lay it out. This is what you need to know. So on the weekly assessment, this is what you're expected to kind of know, right? So and on the weekly assessments, we do sometimes have to ask students to leave if they fail multiple ones. We do try to you know, kind of reach them very early and try to help and try to prevent, you know, students failing out as much as we can because we lose a ton of money there also, right? So it's not only that, you know, we care about the student from an instructional point of view, but we also lose money. So it's, you know, it's even more than another school where the other school will keep the tuition that, you know, you've paid so far, you know, go and find another school that doesn't do that, but they'll keep it, right? If you drop out of college, they don't give you the money back from the first two years or something, right? So App Academy does because we don't charge you tuition, upfront, right? So it's like, you've just gotten all that for free. So for us, it's not only kind of, you know, kind of uh, the teacher in us that wants to save the student, but it's also the, you know, financial side of things. So, you know, we, we try to do everything we can to kind of save the student, but sometimes it doesn't work out and, and, you know, we have to ask folks to leave, but we try to avoid that as much as possible. Nice. And, um, I think one of the bigger questions that, um, I wanted to know when I was applying to boot camps was there's a lot of boot camps out there. I think there's probably over 200 in the whole country. What advice do you have for our listeners who are looking at boot camps? What should they be looking for? And if you had to go through the process of uh, picking out a program, what would you specifically pay attention to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I would try to find, I mean, I would approach it the way that I did at, I would, the way I approached information gathering when I was at the hedge fund that I was at, right? So find the highest quality information that I can, right? So and for boot camps, it's a very young industry, so there aren't any great industry reports. There's not, you know, great. There's no U.S. news for hey, here, here are the top boot camps. We just ranked them, right? So you have to talk to people, right? So that's where it is. And who has the best information there? I think it's really the hiring managers, the people that have talked first are impartial, and then second have talked to boot camp graduates from different boot camps and have the ability to compare against different boot camps, right? So that's how I, I'd, I'd approach that problem. So if I were to recommend, yeah. That's what I'd recommend to you know anybody kind of thinking about making that decision now. So would you focus on the city that you eventually want to find your job at and then f- identify a few companies that you might see that there's bootcamp grads there 
and then reach out, call, email them, ask to chat with them for 15 minutes, and then mm-hmm. basically ask them, in their opinion, what boot camps in that area or in that state that they typically see successful students from, right? Is mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. your advice? Sure. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. I wouldn't restrict it just to a certain city, but I'm a little bit biased this way. I think that if you get into MIT, you go to MIT, you don't find the best college that you can in your neighborhood, right? So, but I take kind of a long view and a career view on mm-hmm. this where, you know, the difference between a top boot camp and a kind of average boot camp, we're talking about $40,000 a year in salary in your first year. And that over the span of a career, half a million, million dollars, you know, with compound interest, you're talking millions of dollars. So, Think about the decision where you think, okay, I'm going to save a little bit of money because I'm not going to live in San Francisco or New York City for this time, and I'm going to, you know, save some, you know, cost of living is different. So over the span of career, that's millions of dollars that you're leaving on the table, right? So I think that's something that I think sometimes applicants don't look at in exactly the right way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and when it comes to picking a bootcamp like App Academy that's focused on Ruby, and then there's Hack Reactor that's focused on JavaScript. I think Hackbrite is focused on Python. So for someone who's starting out and is considering learning how to code, how should they approach picking a bootcamp based on language? Sure. So I think they should ignore language totally and just pick the best bootcamp they can get into. So mm-hmm. Hack Director trains people in JavaScript. We place more people at Google in JavaScript roles than Hack Director does, right? So, I mean, it will just give you a sense of like, hey, we teach JavaScript for like half the class, right? And we'll, we'll end up placing more people than Hack Director does. At Google, right, in JS position. So, and language doesn't matter in any company worth of salt. Any company that you would want to work at recognizes that. So, they'll design the programming tests in a way that's language agnostic, right? So, unless if they're looking for somebody highly specialized with 10 years of experience in this specific technology, they won't care, right? And you're not going to be that person coming out of a bootcamp. They're going to, they will hire you for raw potential. They're foolish if they're, raw, they're hiring you for anything else. They're not going to, I mean, if they're hiring you to kind of build their app and leaning on you to, be the main engineer in their app, don't work at that company. It's not going to be a good role. You're not going to learn that much. Yeah. So yeah. So that, that's very interesting. And I remember when Timur was going through this process, a lot of things that uh, you're talking about were things that he also experienced. But since then, there's a lot of new things that you've introduced based off of things that you've learned. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about the bootcamp program that you have and then you know why you decided to start that and sure. what the outcomes have been in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the bootcamp prep class came out of this desire to help more of our applicants than we were before. So our acceptance rate is somewhere around 2-3%. And what that means is that out of every 100 people that are coming, knocking our door, asking to learn how to code, we have to turn away 98 of them, right? So they want to learn how to code. They're willing to kind of put in the time. They, you know, they want it, but we don't have the product or service that kind of helps them. So, or we didn't. Now, bootcamp prep, we designed as a way to kind of help people meet their goals and maybe get into another top bootcamp, right? Even if App Academy is not the right fit for various reasons, there are other good bootcamps out there and we want to help students reach their goals, right? And that's kind of how we thought about bootcamp prep. So bootcamp prep, four-week class where we teach you, I think it's important that this is, again, this is something that makes it pretty different from other coding schools is that the goal of this program is to get you into all of the top bootcamps, right? So what that means is not only that we teach you programming, but that we teach you the other things that are required. So we teach you how to put together your resume. We teach you how to, you know, speak well during the that interview that's going to happen, right? So we try to take a holistic approach to helping you get into the top schools, right? So and it's worked really well so far. So so far we, I mean, we have not had to issue a single refund, and we do give refunds if a student does not get into one of the, you know, guaranteed schools. We have a guaranteed school list of nine schools. 
where, you know, they're kind of guaranteed acceptance into one of these nine schools or they get all their money back. And, you know, we've graduated hundreds of students to that program and we haven't had to give anybody their money back. Got it. And speaking of refunds, how, how much is the cost? So it varies from location to location, but between two and 3000 Got it. And Got it. Uh, for App Academy, I guess if you're going through the prep work and you complete the four weeks, does that guarantee you a place at App Academy or you still have to go through the interview process with App Academy to get in? Sure. So you still have to go through the interview process. So we want to make sure that this is not, you know, us diluting our brand or bringing the bar down. The bar is going to be the same place and it, there is not going to be any world where you can buy your way into App Academy, right? Mm-hmm. That would destroy a lot of value, a lot of credibility that we've spent years building up. So it's just, it's not an option. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. So for us. So. But I think you mentioned that a nice perk is that if you do end up getting into App Academy, then you could apply the cost of the prep program towards mm-hmm. your deposit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that said, we also have a high success rate of people coming out of the bootcamp prep program going into, you know, App Academy or these other kind of top schools. So, I mean, we're talking somewhere like 20, 30% for these, you know, acceptance rate into, into these top schools. I mean, the acceptance rate into App Academy is roughly 25% from students who take the bootcamp prep class. So we do believe that, again, the proof is in the pudding there where, you know, it has proven to be effective. So 25% of the 98 tend to get into App Academy? Exactly. Got it. And so speaking of, you know, finishing these programs, someone finishes bootcamp prep, gets into App Academy, finishes the program. Can you talk a little bit more about the success that you've had placing these graduates? How many people have you graduated? And then what's the financial model that you guys follow in order for graduates to pay you back after they put the deposit down? Sure, sure. Yeah. So we've had roughly 1,500 graduates and we've been able to place the vast majority. So 98%, a little bit, 90 to 99% you know, of those folks always kind of floating up and down. But we, with good salaries too, with 105,000 is the average in San Francisco and about 89,000 is going, recent cohorts have been above 90,000. But Around around ninety thousand uh, in the rest of the country or in New York, the uh, New York City location. New York yeah, City location. Exactly. Yep. So that's kind of how we track it: is San Francisco yeah. location, New York location. And outside of the program, like so, once you finish the twelve weeks, what type of job search support do you provide to your students? Mm-hmm. Sure. So our thought or our philosophy around this is that we continue helping you find a job until until you find one, right? So. The course is 12 weeks and the last three weeks are dedicated towards a job search, but we're going to continue helping you until, until you find a job. So, and that's not just because we believe it's the right thing to do. Again, we have a financial incentive, right? So we lose a ton of money if you don't find a job, so, which is good for you, right? So, so your financial incentives are aligned with the student's incentive. And so both parties exactly. are interested in exactly. placing that candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So they work, the way it works is when they're placed into a job, then a portion of their oh, salary yeah. Yeah, goes. Yeah, exactly. So over the first year, they'll pay 18% of the gross salary over the first six months. So yeah, first year of gross over the first six months. Is kind of okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So um, I have this other question that actually didn't come from me. Mm-hmm. It came from uh, someone who reached out to me and uh, they're actually a college. Uh, they're going to be graduating this upcoming May and they're a chemical engineer student and mm-hmm. they're considering doing App Academy. And the question that they asked me was, with a lot of news about the tech bubble and a lot of boot camps just graduating uh, like hundreds, if not thousands of um, boot camp graduates per month or like per cohort. Do you think like this industry is getting saturated with junior engineers? And mm-hmm. what is your take on that? Sure. Yeah. So great question. So I think this is, you know, I think about this in kind of two separate ways. So one is I think about it from an industry point of view, right? Where what do the competitive dynamics look like for the industry? What does it look like for the customer of this industry, right? So 
On that side, I wouldn't say I'm worried. I'm not worried, but I'm not as excited as I was two years ago or three years ago, right? Because there are 25,000 bootcamp grads a year, and that number is growing very quickly. It's growing like 100% year over year or so, right? So at some point, something's got to give. And that what gives is salaries and jobs, right? So And the customer in your analogy is the company is hiring the grads, right? Sorry, the customer being the actual student. Okay, right? the so, student. So, so sorry. So yeah, the you know, for the student, at some point, you know, there might not be enough jobs out there or the salaries might be lower than what they were expecting, right? So that's I think for the average bootcamp grad. And that's why I think again, I mean, you know, because of the next part of this, which is that the other way that I think about this is from the App Academy point of view. So what does that what does future look like for App Academy grads and what will, yeah, for next five years or so, right? So, and from that side, I'm not worried because, so, and I think this is an interesting stat, you know, for some folks, which is that in 2015, we graduated the same number of CS grads as Berkeley did. So roughly 350. And we placed a greater number of folks at Google than Berkeley did, right? So out of their CS program. So I think, you know, I mean, and their top five CS program, maybe even, you know, the top CS program. So those are who our graduates are competing with, the top five, top 10 CS grads, right? CS school grads. So, and I think that will be where, where they continue to compete and hopefully even, you know, better. I mean, one day, my hope is that they're, that they're kind of considered a class apart. But my thought is that those folks will always have jobs. Maybe it takes a little bit longer, you know, who knows, right? But those folks will, will always have jobs. They're, they're fantastic engineers. So I think that's kind of how I think about the issue. And also why I think it's important when you're considering a bootcamp to try as hard as you can to get into one of the top ones. Yeah. And especially with your case, since you're not charging the student beforehand, if there was this shift where there's a tech bubble and people are not hiring graduates, you guys would be the ones losing the money, exactly. not the student. Yeah. So you guys are even more sensitive to this uh, shift than yeah. the students themselves who go to App Academy. Sure, sure. And you know that if you get into App Academy, at least you know if such a shift happens and maybe salaries go down or something, you'll have to pay less, right? Mm-hmm. Because the tuition automatically adjusts to what the salary is. So, and you know that we'll be fighting as hard as we can to keep those salaries up for you, right? Mm-hmm. So, because that's how we get paid. Yeah. Yeah. And so Timor is going to walk you into the lightning round and explain a little bit more about what that is. Yeah, so the next portion of the podcast, it's the lightning round. And that's when Arthur, Ruben, and I will ask you a series of questions that are specifically focused on resources, strategies, any tactics that either you've used to learn how to code and maybe something that you've seen your students do that was very successful in their careers. So with that said, Arthur, can you please take it away? Yeah, for sure. This is a question that takes it kind of back to the basics. So imagine if you were someone who moved to a new city and you're trying to break into startups, but let's assume that you're trying to become an engineer and you only have $100. What would you do to educate yourself and kind of break in and get that first job? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think I, I mean, so just to make sure I understand your question, you're trying to break into technology by becoming a software engineer? Yeah, let's say you're trying to break into startups. Let's assume your food and like, and the housing expenses are taken care of. Yeah. But you have limited resources. Assume like it's $100 and you're trying to get yourself to a level where you could break in. What would be your mm-hmm. kind of steps that you would mm-hmm. take? Sure. So I think there's a lot to be said for just getting into a startup, right? So I think that's probably the tack that I would take where I would just try to get any job at a startup and just say, hey, you know, I'll do anything and I'll work as hard as you need me to work. And, you know, the only thing I ask is that you guys let me ask you questions and and learn. And I may not even say that last part because that's how I learn, but, and and they may be less excited about it if if, if I tell them my plan, but 
Yeah. So, uh, and that's how I learned at the hedge fund that I was at before, right? Where there was no training class or anything. I just bothered the shit out of my VP, right? So just every like two minutes, I'd be asking her, hey, what about this? How, you know, why is this company doing that? Why, right? So she got no work done for the time that I was there, but I learned so much. So the, uh, to the extent that the hedge fund, you know, became better because it invested in its employees, I think things worked out. But that's how I'd kind of break in is just get into a startup and try to learn from the best folks that I can. So even, you know, especially if food and housing is paid for, I just try to get into the best company that I can with people that I really respect and just trying to learn everything from them, even whether it's engineering or not, because I think the most powerful engineer or the you know most effective engineer is one who understands the product and why why the company's doing what it's doing and understands that hey not you know software is not just a hammer that you try to hit you know every nail with right so there's some if you have a real world problem software is just one tool in your toolkit right so maybe software is the right thing to use as a solution for that but maybe it's not maybe you should use you know something else right so uh, maybe there's an off the shelf solution but who knows right maybe there's there's an underlying problem that needs to be fixed and that'll just cancel out the problem so it doesn't exist in the future. And to riff on that question a little bit, for someone that has not completed like an App Academy program is trying to get that initial two, 3,000 to get into bootcamp prep, have you seen any people that have gone through your program that had limited resources like 100 bucks or a perceived advantage or disadvantage that was able to like raise funds and took a creative route to do that? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So there have been homeless people that have taken class, right? So it's just the people who have taken this class are just very scrappy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, they'll sleep wherever. For, unfortunately, you know, we used to have provide housing. We don't do that anymore because of regulatory reasons, but we actually provided housing for free to people and they could just live in the office. So, and that actually let a lot of people do the program that weren't able to otherwise. But, you know, similarly, if you have a good friend in the city that, you know, let you crash on their floor or whatever, yeah, that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember when, when Timor came in town and we, we walked in, looked at the the place to sleep at yeah. Academy. It kind of looked like the sleepaway camp. <laughs> and uh, in the last blog that Ruben wrote, he mentioned the cot. And uh, the reason we have that cot is I actually spent probably two weeks crashing at App Academy while I was going through the cohort. And it was at first a little, like, I, sure. it took a little getting used to, but you would literally just wake up, go to class, and then uh, go to sleep at midnight and wake up again and do it again. So yeah. So the other question that, just to build on what you just said, the other question that we want to ask is, seeing all these students go through the program, what would you say are those characteristics that differentiate people who become successful and maybe find jobs sooner versus people who either don't drop out or people who take like lo- much longer mm-hmm. to find a job? Sure. That's an easy one. It's all motivation. So it's all just how much do you want it, right? Mm-hmm. It's not how intelligent you are, et cetera, how much experience you had before, none of this really matters. It's really just motivation. You know, are you willing to put in the work and make it happen? All the resources are here. You know, we've provided every, you know, the path to kind of success. You just have to put in the time. So Mm -hmm. it's really that simple. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people, as Timo mentioned earlier, see, you know, App Academy as this MIT of boot camps. And it sounds amazing. Like any success story sounds amazing. But were there any challenges that you ran through? And whenever you hit those challenges, or frustrations, was there any piece of music or movie that you watched that kind of like motivated you to break through that challenge to, to get over what you were, what you were building? Or, or even while you were teaching yourself how to code and you might have got frustrated trying to learn, was there anything that you did to get over that frustration? Sure. Yeah. So for me, it was usually just talking to kind of my mentors and, and folks that were kind of around me. So it wasn't necessarily a specific piece of music or something like that, but 
you know, that VP that I bother the shit of, she's a very close friend of mine and, you know, kind of continues to be a sounding board for a lot of my problems <laughs> Yeah, and success, you know, successes when they happen really. So, but yeah, so her, my father, you know, other people kind of around me that, that are a few steps ahead or many steps ahead and, and, you know, have kind of seen everything and have that perspective. Right. So, and it's often just that, right. It's not necessarily even, do you need, you don't need to find somebody who's seen it all or done it all. It's just, you talk it out with somebody and, and they can give you that perspective that, hey, things are, things are going to change and, you know. Yeah. And so you've had this very interesting journey of learning how to code, attending a boot camp, starting your own boot camp. So what is one thing that you fundamentally believed in going to this process that you changed your mind on now having kind of gone through multiple <laughs> different experiences? In terms of learning how to code, you're saying? Learning how to code boot camps, just what, what's one thing you fundamentally believed in that you changed your mind on? Good question. Hmm. I think in terms of, so when I was a hedge fund investor, one thing I understood very little about was how important, you know, some of these softer elements are to a company. So when you're an analyst, you analyze a company through the numbers, right? You talk to companies and you try to get a sense of their management. And I think I was actually a little bit better than that than, than the average analyst in terms of using, you know, the non-quantitative, you know, aspects of investment in terms of how much credibility to give to the management team, et cetera, right? But still, really, as an analyst, you just focus on the numbers. You build the model. That's really what your job's kind of focused around, right? So I took that approach when I came to Startup Academy. I was really focused on the numbers and making sure the numbers worked out and everything, right? But that wasn't the right tack to take. When you run a company, you need to pay as much, if not more, attention to the culture, the values, the mission, et cetera, right? So how the employees are feeling, how the customers are feeling, all this stuff, right? So, and some of the stuff can't be, you know, can be measured, some of it can't. And I guess just realizing how important that was. I mean, unfortunately, I learned it pretty quickly. But continue to learn it, but yeah, that was kind of a yeah. And I guess on that topic, what do you see kind of as the longer term vision for App Academy and the community you're trying to build? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So we just want to continue to increase the impact that we have on folks. So and we think about that just as you know, how much difference are we making in people's lives times the number of people that we're impacting, right? So sometimes we can have a small impact, sometimes we can have a large one, but we kind of just think of that you know, some product and think, okay, that's how we're doing. And we want to continue to push that forward and hopefully at a pretty ambitious growth rate. So what that looks like, we have no idea. <laughs> we're experimenting with a bunch of different things. We're trying a bunch of different classes and whatnot. And, you know, who knows which one of these things will be successful and we'll actually try to grow, but we're trying a bunch of things. That's our guiding North Star, right? So in terms of, hey, we just want to, we want to help a lot of people get to where they want to be, but we're not sure exactly what's going to resonate with people, what what will people need the most that we're still figuring out exactly. Got it. And and for people that are thinking about being part of the App Academy journey and want to kind of like whet their appetite, are there any outstanding or stellar online resources that you suggest people like kind of like try out to just introduce themselves to this coding journey? Mm -hmm. So I think Code Academy is pretty good that way in terms of introducing you to what it is to code. I think it's a pretty bad way to learn how to code because just too many crutches. But as a way to figure out, hey, do I like this at all? Is this, you know, is this something that's even interesting to me? I think it's a great way to kind of really easy on ramp. They've got great user experience and great kind of onboarding in terms of, hey, you just jump in and you're coding. But yeah, that's one I'd recommend. Yep. Got it. And um, for all of our listeners who are listening uh, right now, what is the best way for them to apply to App Academy and the prep uh, program? And also if they wanted to reach out to you or some of the graduates, how do they get in touch? Sure. Yeah. So there, I think the best way to kind of apply is just to go on the site, see, you know, hey, first of all, I guess, try to figure out, hey, is this for me? I think in terms of going to Code Academy, you 
you can figure that out. There's also some information on our website on, hey, what does a career path look like, et cetera? You know, what does it mean to be an App Academy student? What does that day-to-day look like? But, and then just put in an application. So just App Academy IO, you know, go on there and, and, you know, throw in an application that's, you know, that'll start you on your journey. We'll kind of hold your hand along the way there. So, but in terms of reaching out to us, there's, yeah, contact information on the website. We have a huge FAQ. So I would first look in that FAQ, but you can also just reach out, contact at App Academy IO mm-hmm. and, uh, and, you know, you'll get a response pretty quickly in terms of whatever questions you might have around coding bootcamps or App Academy in general. But we're happy to just answer questions about bootcamps in general. So, Are you on yeah. Twitter, Snapchat, Cora? So yeah, I mean, if, you know, Twitter is your vibe, we're there, but yeah, so we're not on, we're not on Snapchat, but yep. yeah. Got it. <laughs> and we'll include all of the, the link to the application page and uh, to your Twitter in our show notes. And we just wanted to say thank you again. Awesome. Yeah, uh, thank this you. has been a great episode. And I think there's going to be a ton of people who are going to be reaching out to you guys because you guys have built an amazing program and it's quite impressive. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. And uh, yeah, thanks for yeah. putting together the show. Thanks, thanks Coach. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.